Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. The following episode of Proof is rated B for beef and contains extreme amounts of gravy. Listener discretion is advised. I can't stop thinking about a sandwich. It's not just me, it's America. For the past year, we've been transfixed by a simple sandwich of meat and bread. And it happens to be the most famous sandwich from my hometown, Chicago, the Italian beef. Italian beefs are a wet, slick, spicy meat mound of a sandwich that's been a hallmark of Chicago dining for nearly a century. And everyone is talking about it. Love, love, love it. Beef sales are booming nationwide as diners crave a taste of Chicago. Sales of Italian beef have nearly doubled. Are you seeing that reflected in your sales at all? Uh, We are, actually. Italian beef sales are said to be up nationwide. How did the humble Italian beef become the buzziest sandwich of the last year? It's because of a TV show. It's called The Bear. Ibra, make sandwiches. Don't stop making sandwiches. Yes, sir. I'm going to make three sections, okay? They're going to be wet, hot, and sweet. All right, I'm going to take green tape, make those sections. Louis, yes, I want sir. you to get the sandwiches, put them okay. in the course. Have you seen The Bear? What? You haven't? What's the matter with you? You must. It's about a fine dining chef who comes home to Chicago to run his late brother's Italian beef shop. The acting is powerful, the soundtrack is great, and the depiction of restaurant culture is frighteningly accurate. You need to go watch it. Okay, finish this episode first, maybe listen to a second episode of Proof, then watch The Bear. It's on Hulu. Now, as great as The Bear is, the show for me has been triggering. It triggered this feeling I've held for eight years, the last time I tasted an Italian beef. Which is, I think the sandwich is okay, not great. I've never had an Italian beef that was truly better than a B-. And why is this a big deal? It's because for many years, I was a food critic at the Chicago Tribune. I've eaten dozens of Italian beefs for work. And for someone in my position to say something as sacrilege as Italian beefs are just okay is, at least in Chicago, like swearing in church. So all this talk lately about Italian beefs being the greatest sandwich mankind has created, my reaction as a Chicagoan was, really? Okay, if you say so. But it had me reflecting. Maybe it's not the sandwich. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's time I reconnect with the beef. Maybe the passage of time has brought me to a different place in life, one where I can appreciate Italian beefs for its wet, slick, spicy meat mound beauty. Or maybe, because I work for a company called America's Test Kitchen, I just need to engineer something better. Today on Proof, the quest to create a sandwich so incredible, I am forced to add reverb when I say, the world's greatest Italian beef. I'm Kevin Pang. Give me a large beef hot dipped. Stick around, folks. 
There's a lot of smart ovens out there, and it can be hard to decide which ones are worthy of taking up real estate in your kitchen, especially if you're thinking about getting one for the holidays. Luckily, Breville's Jewel Ovens got you covered. The Jewel Oven has an app which offers step-by-step -step videos featuring ATK's very own cooking instructor, Christy Morrison. Hey, Christy. Hi, Kevin. You can follow along on the app with easy-to-follow video steps to walk you through holiday classics like ATK's sweet potato casserole and simple stuffing. That's right. I had such a blast shooting those. And it's great to know that you're working with a reliable oven because our reviews team chose Breville as a recommended pick. Download the Breville app to find guided recipes so you can nail it the first time, every time. Learn more at Breville.com. That's B-R-E-V-I-L-L-E.com. I'm a diehard fan of mangoes. I'll eat mangoes on the hottest day of summer and on Christmas Day. And with the holidays fast approaching, I'm chatting with my colleague, Cook's Country test cook Kelly Song, who's going to introduce me to some festive mango recipes. What's up, Kelly? Hey, Kevin. So, Kelly, a lot of people might think mangoes. Those are summer fruits to use in desserts. But you were just telling me that mangoes are actually great to use any time of year for any type of dish, sweet or savory. Yes, that's absolutely correct. You can use mangoes as an appetizer in stuffed zucchini with curried lamb, currants, and mangoes. We have an amazing pork tenderloin recipe that features a super punchy, bright mango chutney. And my favorite is actually from the book Boards by our chef and food stylist, El Simone Scott. She has an amazing recipe for chocolate fondue. And want to guess one of the ingredients she recommends dipping? I'm going to guess it's mangoes? Yep, that's right. Well, Kelly, all these mango recipes are making me hungry. Find your mango inspiration at mango.org. I'm Jacob Goldstein, host of the podcast, What's Your Problem? And over the next few weeks, I'll be talking to the people who are shaping the future of food. A Stanford scientist raised billions of dollars to make meat without animals. The mission of the company is to completely replace animals as a food technology. A kid who grew up at his uncle's pizza shop is helping family restaurants survive in the 21st century. The bottleneck isn't the pizza oven, it's the telephone. It's the telephone. And a guy who helped create the iPhone is trying to eliminate food waste by reinventing the trash can. First and foremost, it has to not smell. And that's a crazy thing to say. You can listen to What's Your Problem wherever. Oh, come on, Jacob. You wouldn't pay an extra dollar for a Stegosaurus burger? I'd pay an extra dollar. <laughs> Does it come with fries? Sure, I'll throw in the fries for free. Part one. To better understand this sandwich, let's take a five-minute course at the University of Italian Beef. What makes an Italian beef an Italian beef? Traditionally, the beef comes from the top sirloin or bottom round of the cow. It's this big, meaty, lean muscle. So you take this medicine ball-sized hunk of beef and season it with dry spices like oregano and basil, along with garlic powder and chili flakes. You take this dry rubbed meat and roast it in a tray of beef stock for hours. After it's cooked through, it's cooled, then shaved paper thin. When you're ready to serve, you reheat the shaved beef in the warm pan juices, then pile it on a crusty French roll. Next, 
choose your toppings. You request the sandwich either sweet or hot. Sweet means bell peppers that are grilled or boiled. Hot is a mix of pickled, spicy, chopped, crunchy vegetables known as jardinera. When it comes to sweet or hot, you can ask for one or both, but never neither. Finally, what I think is the most important decision when ordering an Italian beef, whether you want the sandwich dry or dipped. Dry is the sandwich served as is. What's more interesting is asking for it dipped. The sandwich gets dunked straight into the roast beef pan juices. Just a quick slosh, enough to turn the bottom sandwich slightly mushy, but intensely beefy. Your choices, once again, are sweet or hot, dry or dipped. You can communicate the exact specification of your sandwich in just three words. The way I order mine, beef, hot, dipped. I have a long history with Italian beefs. When I was a food critic at the Chicago Tribune, I spent two weeks eating only at Italian beef stands across Chicago. That's an Italian beef for lunch, an Italian beef for dinner, day in, day out, for two weeks straight. It was like a garlicky version of Groundhog Day. As part of my two-week beef jaunt, I dug deep into the history of the sandwich. The exact origins are a bit murky, but through my research, I found three plausible histories of the beef in Chicago. In theory one, it was popularized by an immigrant named Pasquale Scala. He was a sausage maker who delivered meats from a horse-drawn wagon. The story goes that Scala served the sandwich at weddings, shaving the beef thin to stretch the limited meats and dipping it in the pan juices to add bulk. Theory 2. I spoke with Chris Paselli, owner of Al's Number 1 Italian Beef, arguably Chicago's most famous beef stand. Paselli told me that his grandfather, Tony Ferreri, was the true inventor of the Italian beef. Like in the first theory, Ferreri would also serve the sandwich at weddings and large gatherings. Paselli told me that by slicing the beef so thin you could see through it, 15 pounds of beef could serve 50 people. In the third version of Italian Beef's Origins, I found a write-up from the late restaurant critic of the Chicago Sun-Times, Pat Bruno. He wrote, The year is 1948 or 1949. An Italian cook working in a Greek coffee shop near the corner of Harlem and Irving thought the French dip sandwich was too bland, so he zipped it up with garlic and herbs. Everyone liked it except the owner, who fired the cook. The cook, his first name is Tony, and that's as much as we know, then opened an Italian beef stand down the street, which was an instant success. For the record, Al's Beef opened its first store in 1938, so Pat Bruno's 1948 day is a bit dubious. What's notable, though, is the claim it evolved from the French dip, a sandwich popularized in Los Angeles that involves dipping a roast beef roll into a cup of beef pan drippings. Anyway, I was trying to find the definitive origin story of Italian beefs in Chicago. And in the eight years since I wrote that story, I realized that might not be the right way to look at it. And it was all because of one man who made me view Italian beefs in a whole new light. My name's uh, Anthony Buccini. I'm by training an historical linguist, but I've been doing research in food history for a very long time now. 
Dr. Buccini is the authority on Italian beefs. He's the author of a paper titled From Peanut Weddings to Beef Stance, The Socioculinary History of Chicago's Italian Beef. Rather than thinking of Italian beefs coming from a single source, Dr. Buccini suggests viewing the sandwich as emerging from circumstance, most notably from the Neapolitan immigrants who settled on Chicago's Taylor Street. It's well known that Italian beef was the featured food at celebratory gatherings way back, uh, surely before any of the beef stands first arose. And it was an essential part of an institution in Chicago known as the Peanut Wedding, which was a working-class wedding, a poor wedding, and people would eat Italian beef at it. At a wedding gathering, you have people of all different ages, people without teeth or with bad teeth, kids who can't chew hard things. It's a perfect food that everyone could eat. The bread gets softened with the gravy, and it works uh, for everyone. This isn't to say that Neapolitans living on Chicago's Taylor Street came up with the sandwich. As with all foods, and really all art, you can track its lineage. The core of the dish itself is it's just an old traditional way of cooking beef. And I, I tell you, you can see traces of that as far back as the 13th century. It's, it's just an old traditional way of cooking beef in southern Italy. There is a recipe attested in a wondrous cookbook written in Naples by Ippolito Cavalcante. And in two of the editions of his great cookbook, he gives a recipe that is clearly Italian beef. Uh, and it is given not in the main part of the book, which is in Italian and kind of high-class cookery, but in a subsection written in Neapolitan called the home cookery of Naples. It's clearly, you know, sort of middle class on down. And he gives a dish, it's called stufato, and it is essentially Italian beef in all respects, including especially, mo very important, and this is true of meat dishes in popular Neapolitan cooking, almost all meat dishes are cooked in such a way that they produce a large amount of either sauce or broth. Today, there are dozens of shops around Chicago, both mom-and-pop and chain restaurants, serving Italian beefs. They all share one thing in common. There's nothing upscale about these establishments. You won't find any fancy farm-to-table version constructed with sous vide short rib. Italian beefs are a working-class meal. They're intended to be messy, consumed standing up. For out-of-towners visiting Chicago, I'd say Italian beefs are a solid number three in food popularity behind the more famous deep dish pizza and Chicago hot dog. Beefs are not an obvious dish a tourist might try. All that changed in June 2022 when The Bear premiered on Hulu. The show's protagonist is Carmi Berzato, an award-winning chef who moves back to Chicago to run his late brother's failing restaurant the original beef of Chicagoland. It's a fictionalized stand-in for Mr. Beef on Orleans, a legendary Chicago beef stand and where the bear filmed the show. A month after the show premiered, the New York Times published a story with the headline, Demand for Italian Beef is Booming. Thank the Bear. It noted how Italian beef stands as far away as Kansas City saw orders increase five-fold. 
and at Mr. Beef on Orleans in Chicago, orders jumped from 250 a day to 800 after the show began airing. So do you have any idea what your show has done for Italian beef shop owners across America? I don't think I fully understand, but I... <laughs> but nothing could make us happier. You're hearing my conversation with Joanna Callow. She's the co-showrunner and executive producer of The Bear. I asked her, of all the foods in Chicago they could have gone with, why focus on Italian beefs? It feels niche enough and special enough that it's not like making a pizza show. It's this kind of lesser known thing that has this whole culture and this whole beautiful and sometimes sad and insane world behind it. And I think Chris realized that there were all these stories that no one would ever believe. By the way, Chris would be Christopher Storr, the show's creator who's from Chicago. Okay, back to my conversation with Joanna Callow. Joanna, can you tell me what the sandwich research was like for the writers? I don't have access to a Chicago Italian beef out here in Los Angeles. I'd obviously had all the French dip that we have, which is really delicious and fabulous. But I waited until I got to Chicago to learn by tasting, though Kevin knows my dirty secret. (laughs) Would you mind sharing this with the world? I will share my terrible dirty secret, which is that I have only eaten one Italian beef in my life. And it came from Mr. Beef. And what did you think of the sandwich? And please be honest. I thought it was amazing. It was also a cartoon. We were shooting in the Mr. Beef, but then, you know, the owner was there. And I stood behind the counter and watched them build it. And it was incredibly lovely to have someone hand make me this sandwich that we had been talking about and thinking about for all these months. And it was absolutely delicious. And I had it hot and dipped and melted in my mouth. Part two, building a beautiful beef. Armed with enough background and context, I was ready to create the world's greatest Italian beef, embark on my own episode of The Bear, in a way. Before I started, though, it was important to lay out what this project was and what it wasn't. I'll tell you what it's not. We're not out to reinvent Italian beefs. It's not applying some pretentious, chefy take on this humble sandwich. The goal was to make the best Italian beef we can, with the finest ingredients and the most effective cooking techniques. And we didn't want to be held back by cost. Typically, a beef in Chicago costs about $8. They cost what they cost because it's an everyman meal, a sandwich for the proletariat. You'd go out of business if it was any more expensive. But what if we only made 100 sandwiches and price wasn't a concern? Would a $16 Italian beef taste twice as delicious? I knew exactly who to seek out for this Italian beef experiment. My local butcher, Hofer Meat Company in Northfield, Illinois. The husband and wife owners of the shop are Sean and Ariel Hofer. They're young, creative, full of verve and energy. These guys know what they're doing. I'm meeting with them just before Thanksgiving. All eight employees are already gathered around a table inside the shop. They've all seen the bear. And for days, they've been mulling over the beefy possibilities, starting with Sean. 
we want to set up the highest expectations possible because the one thing about that show is that it gave Chicago a voice on the culinary scene where it hadn't necessarily had one. You know, you hear about deep dish pizza all the time as being the thing from Chicago, but really Italian beef is much more interesting. And I think that that is where we come in because I think that we can get it down and dial it in to where every single sandwich that's rolling out of here is at peak Italian beef. Then there's Sean's best friend, Mikey Solar. Mikey opened the butcher shop with Sean a decade ago, and he's also a Chicago firefighter. I am a fourth generation home Jardinera maker. I know you're going to edit for time. How much time do you have to talk about Jardinera? Let me tell you, I've covered the Chicago food scene for 17 years, and I've never met a person more passionate about Jardinera, the pickled vegetable mix crucial in Italian beefs, than Mikey Solar. Why is Jardinera so important to you, Mikey? It helps me connect with my family. You know, my, my grandmother, uh, you know, I loved her to death, and she was a cook. We have deep, deep roots in Chicago. You know, so it, go, it goes from her to my father, who, who passed away a few years ago, and I was, uh, you know, I still haven't recovered from it, honestly. And he worked here with me and Sean, and it just helps me pay homage to my family and my Italian roots and, and Chicago, Chicago itself. What can Jardinera do to an Italian beef sandwich? If you're looking at Italian beefs, it's basically just an umami sandwich. I mean, it's beef with beef jus and it's just dense and it just hits you right there on the tongue. And the Jardinera cuts through with this brightness, this light, you know, it's oily, but it's sharp and it's spicy and it helps activate other parts of your taste buds and it brings everything together. It just wraps it all up and uh, it makes it what it is. I also want you to meet Arielle Hofer. Think of her as the air traffic controller at the butcher shop. I'm an overseer. I think something that they've touched on is the correct ratio of ingredients. Each bite should have a little bit of jardinera, it should have a little bit of beef, but it shouldn't be overwhelming. So taking in the factor of the bread, being the right softness, absorbency, the beef not being dry, being layered and shingled properly and not just globbed on there. And then having a little jardinera sandwich between slices is gonna ensure that each bite you're getting perfect amount of each component and you're not getting too much of one and you're also not making a mess, which an Italian beef is kind of known for being a mess. <laughs> We want to serve 100 of the best Italian beefs Chicago has ever seen. We'll serve it on Saturday, December 3rd, what we're calling B-Day. That means we have three weeks to pull it off. And there is a ton we'll need to accomplish during those three weeks. Research, developing the recipe, deciding on the right cut of beef, the sweet peppers, figuring out the spices, the cooking method, sourcing the bread, developing the jus, the jardinera. How much do we charge? Do we just serve the sandwich or with a side? How do we package the whole thing? Do we allow for customization? Then there's the marketing, the press outreach, getting enough people to walk in the door. <sighs> the thing I quickly realized was there are way more moving parts than I'd imagine. 
I've covered the restaurant industry as a journalist, but I've never helped run one, let alone a pop-up event serving one type of sandwich. So, three weeks and counting to B-Day without having even lifted a finger, and I was already freaking out. Oh, I forgot to mention, during these three weeks, I had a 10-day family vacation that was booked months in advance. Nice going, Pang, you dummy. I could already see the whole thing playing out like an episode of The Bear. Now get the f*** off my expo set now! Get the f*** off! Thank you! We're firing 76 beefs, 34 chickens, okay? 12 french fries, 12 mash, now! Thank you! But while I was feeling intense pressure, the Hofer team was an ocean of calm. Everyone in that shop is optimistic they could pull it off. To Sean and Ariel Hofer, Mikey, Chucky, Harrison, Everett, Brendan, and Tim, this Italian beef challenge is about something deeper. Sean says it's about civic pride. We're being allowed to kind of create the standard of Italian beef in Chicago right now. And I don't take that lightly. We take it so seriously that we take it to heart because we know that this city, while it is described as the second city, is second to none. I know that we will do this properly because the only thing that I've ever wanted to do is this city proud. And so it was official. Countdown to B-Day, three weeks and counting. There's no turning back. Okay, what, what am I staring at? I'm seeing a binder with about 200 pages of paper held together by these bulldog clips. What is this, Sean? So what this is, is this is my Kevin Pang's America's Test Kitchen Italian beef make the best one dossier. <laughs> this entire dossier was everything that we had put together after we had initially spoken and gotten this idea hashed out, this is my process right here. And the idea is um, I don't get involved in anything unless I am going all in on it. Going all in means exhaustive testing, tweaking, and testing again. At the heart of our recipe is nailing down the beef ensuring it doesn't get stringy or flavorless. Very quickly, the Hofer team cooks through $500 worth of beef. The beef has been the main focus the last few days. Tried different cuts, tried the, you know, the fanciest cuts, like ribeye, New York strip, things like that, and tried, you know, what is ubiquitous with a lot of these places, like the top round, bottom round, top sirloin, things like that. Parsed out different pieces, tried different things. The initial inclination that we had is the one that we kept with, which is the chuck eye. I think it is the most tender. It is so good. And with this, I feel like a little bit of the fattiness 
does add to a more tender bite. Are you applying any twists, any new methodologies to this recipe versus the other places that you've seen make this? Um, so, yes. One of the things we noticed and read about is a lot of these places are relying on a lot of dry spices and powdered ingredients. We are taking a more fresh approach, so we're going to have more fresh vegetables in the actual braise that we will then also puree into a sauce with it. One thing I should make clear, I approached Hofer Meat Company with this idea a few weeks before Thanksgiving. That's the busiest time of the year for them. It's almost too cruel. But what I didn't know was for the team, thinking about Italian beefs has been a welcomed respite. This is Tim O'Neill, one of the employees at Hofer's, describing how he saw Sean approach the whole thing. You know, we had turkeys, of course. He had to deal with all the turkeys. But nothing is taken more front stage than this for him and us. And I have not been working here for so long, but I've never seen such a drive from a guy that just was given something, and now he's making it through also having to deal with Thanksgiving, like I just said. And it's just so inspiring and great to see that, like, we all come together as a team and we put out the best product and we all live and die for each other. So that's the best thing about it. This has been the best Thanksgiving ever. And I do attribute to that the Italian beef, you know? I mean, just saying, you know? Mikey Solar has one of the easier jobs on this project. His Jarnera recipe is locked in through years of trial and error. There's chopped Melrose peppers, cauliflowers, carrots, olives, spiced in season, and marinated in olive oil. In fact, this batch of Jardinera he'll be serving on B-Day was first made in 2019. He's breaking out the Solar Family Reserved Vintage Jardinera, gracefully aging for the past three years. Mikey, this is so much of your history and your background is encapsulated into one mason jar that I'm staring <laughs> in front of me. Right. Absolutely. And not to like reduce you down to a jar of jar and era, but this is like your your story and your family and your lineage and your history. So when you're looking at this, what are you thinking? What comes to mind when you see this in front of you? Well, firstly, I'm proud to be reduced down to my jar and era. You can reduce me anytime you want. Um, I, the first thing I think of is my dad. We spent a lot of time together cooking. He worked at the shop here. And he taught me how to make this jardinera. And uh, I spent a lot of time making jardinera with him. And in fact, even the peppers that are in this jardinera are grown from seeds, from peppers he passed down to me. What's your dad's name? Steven, Steve Solar. My dad was always the most supportive person I've ever met. And uh, yeah, he just stepped up in a big way to, you know, he was just an integral part of the shop and uh, integral part of the life. After several weeks of hearing Mikey lovingly describe his family's Jardinera, I finally get to taste it. He scoops a spoonful into a plastic cup. I close my eyes and take a bite. It's remarkable. Everything you expect of Jardinera is present. The crunchy bricolage of chopped vegetables, the deeply seasoned olive oil that coats the palate, but unlike most Jardineras, this one contains no vinegar. 
the tartness, the brininess, it all comes from natural fermentation. Think of it almost like kimchi, full of funk and soul. Mikey has a lot to be proud of. As I sneak another spoon from the mason jar, Sean Hofer tells me more about his best friend's father. The best story that we can ever tell about Jardinera, it was a Saturday night, it was in August, the Bears were playing the Seattle Seahawks in the preseason, and we had Mikey, me, Steve, and Buddy Bauman, our, our friend Mike Bauman, in the front of the house, and it was an explosion of seeds and Jardinera Melrose peppers everywhere because we were just chopping and getting ready to make the biggest batch of Jardinera that ever was made. And I didn't even know that this was a thing. And it was really just like the jump off for, I think where we're at now, you know? And he's always been here, you know? He passed away in 2018 in February and it was a huge loss. It continues to be a huge loss, but his spirit lives on here like you can read about, but you can feel it here every single day, Kevin, and it is intense. When he passed, was it unexpected? Uh, he ended up getting cancer, but he didn't last long. I mean, it, it, it burned through him. It burned through him so fast. Yeah, we weren't expecting it. Tell me about this book that I'm looking at here. It says Tio's Kitchen, and then there is a recipe in there for Jardinera. And there's a man in there. T tell me what I'm looking at. Okay, so this book is a uh, book my sister compiled after my dad died. And uh, he was known as Tio Stevo to pretty much everyone. And uh, so it's Tio's Kitchen, it's called. And it's just, she went through some of his old recipe books and pulled recipes and put them in print and made this little book. And she made a bunch of copies and we gave them to friends and family. And there's, there's pictures of him in it. Yeah, and in here is the Jardinera recipe. But this seems to have greater significance for you because this is an homage not just to Chicago, but to your father and his memory and his legacy. This feels important to you. That's absolutely right. This is extremely personal to me. I mean, being a Chicago guy through and through, my entire family from Chicago and the history behind our Jardinera, it just means, it means a lot to me. The more time I spend at the butcher shop, the more this story veers away from being about a sandwich. Italian beefs are a conduit for something else greater. It's always been. For Italian Americans in the 1920s, it was a symbol for celebration and a yearning for home. And a century later, this sandwich has lit a fuse at a butcher shop in suburban Chicago. Every night we've been going home, we'll talk about the day, but really we're looking at other elements that we can improve on the Italian beef by watching different videos. Usually Sean has already watched them, but he likes to watch a few times to really take it in. And he wants me to have that same passion, and I do. And I wake up in the morning and he's talking Italian beef. I go to sleep, he's talking Italian beef. That is what we're talking. It has ignited something in him, and I think it does have to do with the fact that it involves T.O., it involves 
Chicago. It involves beef. <laughs> it has all the right components to something that would be so near and dear to our hearts, and it really is. How does that make you feel? Very proud. <laughs> I am guaranteeing that on December 3rd at Hope for Meat Company, 100 people will be able to taste the best Italian beef that Chicagoland has ever produced. <laughs> okay, wow, and he just walks away and drops the mic. After the break, it's B-Day in Chicago. You deserve a kitchen that works for you. Kohler's sinks come in varying depths and basins so that you get your perfect fit. Their workstation sinks provide accessories to support all of your washing, rinsing, and storage needs. All of Kohler's sinks and faucets are designed to make your kitchen look its best while still getting your cooking goals accomplished. And what a relief that is, especially during the holidays. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. Holiday season is baking season. Apple pies, blueberry cobblers, cookies. Oh man, I'm salivating just thinking about them. But why end the festivities at dessert? OXO can help you bring that holiday baking spirit into breakfast with their holiday baking tools. Thinking about making those cranberry pecan muffins from Cook's Illustrated? You can count on OXO's nonstick muffin pan to do the job. Our reviews team ranked it as the top muffin tin for easy release when the muffins are done. Proof listeners get 15% off on their holiday must-haves when you use the code ATK15 at OXO.com. That's ATK15 at OXO.com. Hey, Proof listeners, we've got fun news to share with all of you. We're excited to announce that we're making a new show for Amazon Freebie. America's Test Kitchen, the next generation, sees 11 home cooks from across the country working inside the ATK studio kitchens, undergoing intense culinary challenges in the job interview of a lifetime. The last cook standing will earn a starring role on America's Test Kitchen and $100,000. Celebrity host Jeannie Mai Jenkins is joined weekly by a rotating panel of your favorite ATK team members, including Dan Souza, El Simone Scott, Jack Bishop, and Julia Collin-Davison. Catch the premiere, America's Test Kitchen, The Next Generation, on December 9th, exclusively on Amazon Freebie. That's Amazon's free ad-supported streaming service. And as a bonus, we're excited to also announce Amazon Freebie will host brand new ATK holiday content on their exclusive ATK streaming channel. You can watch this content and more for free on the Amazon Freebie standalone app or on many connected TVs and devices, including Fire TV, Roku, Samsung, and mobile. Both Prime and non-Prime members can watch freebie programming for free through Prime Video. Part 3. B-Day. Saturday morning at Hofer Meat Company. One hour before the first customer walks in. The whole team is already assembled at their stations, head down, focused. Happy B-Day, everyone. Yeah. We've decided not to allow for customization, like sweet or hot, dipped or dry. Ours will be served with both charred sweet peppers and jardinera, 
then dipped. The way we'd serve the sandwich ourselves is the way we'll serve it to customers. The hardest part has been getting it from a 99% to a 99.1%. It's hard work, but well worth it because our reputation is on the line. We're not just trying to make a decent Italian beef, but 100 of the world's greatest. We figured that we needed to get more beef to bread ratio rather than vice versa. We needed to get the bread a little bit wetter. And then we've also dialed in the sweet pepper situation where we determined that it was kind of, it was a little bit too uh, overwhelmingly sweet, um, almost cloying. One of my suggestions was like, we're treating this like a hot pot and we're taking the beef and basically getting it to a point that is, I mean, would you say it's medium well or just before well done? Like what, what would you say would be the, the, the doneness of the beef? Yeah, so really it's gonna be, I would say it's like medium well or maybe like medium well plus. You know, you can see Mikey over there portioning the beef where we really have cooked it even a little bit further under than in the first couple beta versions that we had done so that we're going to be able to accomplish when it comes out of the sauce of the jus, it's going to be not just this shriveled mess of nothing. It's going to have that velvet texture. And the last thing we've talked about is jardinera. I really feel like we should amp up the jardinera because that to me, in the versions I've had, that was what really differentiated it, along with the beef, because I really want that crunch. So I, I hope we're being a little bit more generous and trigger happy with the jardinera. 100%. The idea was is that where we're shingling the beef, plating it in the bun, cradling it, if you will, we're also going to be shingling jardinera within there, so splicing it in, if you will. Mikey, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. Um, I'll tell you, when you were talking to Sean, you mentioned how you want to really feature the Jardinero a lot. And I read some of your notes in his emails. And I wish your listeners could have seen the smile that came on my face while I'm over here portioning beef, talking about my Jardinero like that, because uh, it's really a source of pride for me. And I was just so happy to hear it. I'm so happy that you like it. <laughs> my Jardinero speaks to my history and to my family story and to the story of hundreds of thousands of Italian immigrants who moved to Chicago and did the same thing we did. And it's just a way to stay connected with our roots while moving forward. I noticed something, Mikey, your chef's coat does not have your name on it. It says Steve Solar. That's your dad. Yeah. I wore it to honor him for today, as well as my head wrap. He, he wore it here every day, every day he worked. So it helps make, me, make him feel a part of this for me. He's here today. Absolutely, absolutely. He's always here. He's always here. And just like that, it's 11.30 a.m. The first order comes in. Inside the kitchen, it devolves into a real life episode of The Bear. Get that off of that, and then get a large sheet tray. And you'll be out of the way in a second. 
Yeah, like in a second. Get it out of the way. Chuck, take that box. Clear it. Hotel panel will be here. Mikey, you're gonna set up here. Bread is gonna be here. Meat is gonna be here. I'm sorry, bread will be there. Meat will be there. Get the rest of the beef into the walk-in on that cart. Clear that cart completely of anything but beef. Sweet peppers. Yeah, get me sweet peppers. I'll hit sweet peppers. Yeah, you're on that. I want you on that. That's your deal. So, Brent, you're dropping beef. We, we are 10 minutes from noon, and there is probably about 18 people outside already. Godspeed, people. <laughs> we, are, we are rocking. We are rolling. The line grows longer. For walking customers, the wait for a sandwich is now 25 minutes. And just when things couldn't become more hectic, a curveball. Feedback from a customer with a very acute palate. This woman knows her food. Her name is Anne. And I happen to be married to her. Is there anything that needs work? Do you want me to be honest? Now I think it's slightly undersalted. Undersalted? Yeah, and it needs more hot peppers. More hot peppers. Really? Yeah, that's, how I, that's what I want from an Italian beef. I take a bite. As usual, my wife's absolutely right. I run back to the kitchen. The line is growing longer. Someone who is in my inner circle yes. feels it might be a little bit undersalted. Undersalted, heard. We're on that. The salt is something that we have been, we've been jockeying back and forth on how much we want these sweet spices to shine. And we had it dialed in on basically it being very much in the style of old school. We're right on that. <laughs> the team scoops a ladle of this thick, fortified roast beef pan goodness into the jus, adjusting the seasoning. 99.1%, 99.2%. Before long, the crew settles into a tight groove. Ariel has done a masterful job timing out the orders so the kitchen wouldn't get crushed. And the subsequent customer feedback... Pretty incredible. I just delicious. Oh, so I, now I'm <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. No, oh, it's fantastic. You can tell this was worked on. <laughs> you know, like to make it perfect. Yeah. And the jardinera, it almost doesn't like taste like jardinera, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Our Italian beef event drew the attention of celebrities, public radio royalty, no less, who stopped by but the host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Peter Sagal. I moved to Chicago um, 25 years ago, and fortunately, in terms of my Italian beef consumption, ended up in Oak Park. And Oak Park, as we all know, one of the best things about it is it's next to Elmwood Park, where you find Johnny's. And I don't remember the first time I went to Johnny's, but I did not realize that I had had as my first Italian beef the best Italian beef, and thus, Every other place since Johnny's has been a disappointment. I basically decided after a couple of unhappy experiences at other Italian beef places that I won't name right now, I basically reduced, if I got an Italian beef, it would have to be Johnny's or it was a waste of calories. And then the moment of truth. Oh, oh my God. Oh, that's really good. 
Oh my God. That's like, that's like pillowy, pillowy beef, I tell you. So that's really good. It's almost too good. I mean, I did not expect it to be that good. Everybody who knows me knows I, I am capable of lying when it comes to praise. That is, that is spectacularly good. Other very important people showed up. Food writer Dennis Lee stopped by for a sandwich. He writes for the food website, The Takeout. This is like a pitch perfect Italian beef. That's what I think. Keep it on the menu. <laughs> Just sell it forever. Dear listener, I promise you, I'm not selectively pulling out the positive sound bites. Because there are certain people in this world you can't BS, who aren't afraid to give us their unvarnished opinions. People like Nick Kindlesberger, the current restaurant critic of the Chicago Tribune. Nick is as seasoned of an Italian beef expert as they come. He stopped by around noon, picked up the sandwich, and quietly ate by the window. He snaps a photo on his phone. A few of us watch, curious, maybe a little nervous. And like all good food critics who know they're being spied on by the cooks in the back, Nick keeps a poker face. We give him some space. Only afterward, when we knew he had finished, I approached Nick. Well, what I loved is that you guys didn't, it still looked like an Italian beef. Sometimes when people try to create like fancy versions, they use, I don't know, prime rib, and then they have these like artisanal rolls that break down when, the, when it touches the juice of the, of the cooking. So this still is an Italian beef, but it just has the edges are exciting. Like you've taken it somewhere different. I haven't had an Italian beef like it, even though it looks exactly like an Italian beef. What was different about it? I mean, you said that there, there's something like a, around the periphery that's a little bit different. Is it the the seasonings, the beef itself? I mean, the jardinera is outrageous. So it's not usually jardinera is very in your face. It's very much like an exclamation point. I call it an edible ex- exclamation point. And this had a, more of an acidity to it and a more of a funkiness to it. I think you said because it's an aged jardinera, and you can really pick that up. And then the beef is so deeply meaty. Every single like part of it is. So you get that texture of the beef, but it, you know it, it just is so savory, every ounce of it. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> yeah, no, they, yeah, no I, was, I was very impressed. I head back to the kitchen. I didn't even stop at Sean. I made a beeline straight to Mikey. Nick yeah. said, quote, the Jarnera was outrageous. That's amazing. Woo! Oh, my God. That makes me feel so good. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't move. That's so awesome. That is incredible. Wow. Uh, I couldn't be happier. My dad is upstairs. Just high-fiving everybody. This is amazing. I'm just speechless. I'm like, I'm over the moon. By 2.30, we had completely sold out. The day was far more emotional than I could have imagined. Picture this humble butcher shop in the Chicago suburbs, merrily chugging along. And some goof from America's Test Kitchen challenges them to not just make a good sandwich, but shoot for the world's greatest Italian beef. 
Yeah, taste is subjective, and our phrasing of it verges on hyperbole. But people seem to genuinely love it. Our phones? Buzzing. People texting us left and right. Peter Sagal tweeted to his 300,000 followers that he just tasted, quote, the finest Italian beef sandwich of my life. Maybe the finest possible. Nick Kindlesberger, the Tribune's restaurant critic, wrote on Instagram, quote, can safely say I've never had an Italian beef like this one, unquote. And I don't think that was pejorative. What began as a minor stunt for this podcast became something much more. Here's Sean and Mikey. My heart is full because I know that we did what we set out to do here. And I know that nothing good is easy and that this wasn't necessarily an easy task, but I feel like our entire team rose to the occasion. My heart is full because I'm just so proud of my squad. While you were talking to Sean, all I could think about was my family, the, the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren of Josephine Solar. Shout out to all of them. They're all I can think about when I think about Jardinero and when I think about beefs. And when I think about what we've done and what we've accomplished here today, which is something I'm very proud of. There's two things I can't stop thinking about. The first is this idea that I've never had an Italian beef better than a B minus. Well, I've also never had a tuna melt that was better than a B minus. And I love tuna melts. Italian beefs aren't supposed to be Wagyu steaks. And even if the sandwich's taste falls short for me, and that's a very subjective opinion, the best thing to come out of this is watching a team get it from 99.1% to 99.2%. And within every sandwich is a story and a history that takes it close to 100. Italian beefs tell the story of a time and place of a group of people who moved to a specific street on the south side of Chicago, who ate the sandwich as a way to celebrate with friends and family, and it reminded them of where they came from. Here again is the Italian food historian, Dr. Anthony Buccini. When we first got on, absolutely legitimate. He said, this is a sandwich, everybody raves about it, and it doesn't quite ever you know, hit a, a, a sublime note for me. So for you, you want to do tweak it and make it better. I have no problem with that. That's an absolutely reasonable thing for somebody who is into food to do. But where one deviates from tradition, one should note it, and one should also acknowledge that there's this sort of beauty to the tradition, how this is a food of poor people that got elevated to being an iconic element of Chicago's culture. You know, it's kind of ironic then that this dish that grows out of the great poverty, Taylor Street was a tough place to live in, uh, now is this symbol of, of Chicago. I, I think that story needs to be remembered. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's important. Actually, there's one more thing I keep thinking about. This whole experiment began when I, like many people across the country, fell hard for a show on Hulu called The Bear. The Bear depicts restaurant culture like few TV shows before. Yes, some parts are uncomfortable, 
and some of the scenes are poster children for toxic workplaces. But steeped within the culture of the bear is fraternity, the camaraderie of making something great together. And as Sean says, it's about finding joy within chaos. There's that scene at the end of the day where it's like Sydney and Carmi and they're sitting out back by the dumpsters, which is like, that's the chill spot on milk crates, you know, having water out of delis. And they're talking and at one point, like they're done with their conversation and they're about to go into service and they look at each other and they're like, we're going to get slammed, crushed tonight and killed, aren't we? And they like look at each other and they're like, yeah. And there's just a twinkle in their eye because you know going into that, that if you have the squad that can get that done, that at the end of it, you are going to feel better than any drug could ever make you feel. And today, I feel like we did that here at Hope For Me Company. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cardarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio with sound design supervision by Matt Boynton, scoring, mixing, and sound design by Anya Gzeshik, and additional engineering by David Bowman, Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composer theme music, additional music by Cal Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis is our director of post-production and our director of production is Diane Knox fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang a debt of gratitude to Sean, Ariel, Mikey, Tim, Chuck, Brendan, Everett, and Harrison if you're ever in Chicago do check out Hofer Meat Company in Northfield thanks also to Dr. Anthony Buccini Joanna Callow Peter Sagel Nick Kindlesberger Dennis Lee Joe Coughlin and everyone who showed up on B-Day Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer, and Jackie Ford is the interim CEO of America's Test Kitchen. Thanks to our sponsors, Kohler, Oxo, Sengoku, The Mango Board, and Breville. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.